Do you consider yourself to be a particular person? You know what I mean? Like, you like things a certain way? Any, any, of, you, any of you like that? I, I'm, I'm sort of a particular person. Um, and, and I live with two boys who are not very particular. Uh, things land where they land, you know? In, their, in my world, that everything has a place where it should go. Uh, it's why God gave us cabinets and drawers and the ability to fold things and put them away. But have you ever thought about the expectations that you have? Um, some of which are stated and, and some of which are not. Let me just give you a rant, kind of a weird example. Um, what are your expectations of a grocery store? So obviously there are some, well, obvious things that you would expect. Uh, they will have food. That food will be fresh and within date. Um, it will be clean. The store will be clean. Um, and, and there's all these sort of things that we probably don't really think about until we experience something that goes against our expectation, which then causes us to not want to go to that place again. So what would keep you from going to a grocery store again? Well, maybe they don't have the food that you want or what it is that you're looking for. Uh, perhaps it's dirty, which never feels good in a grocery store, right? If you walk in and it just feels gross. <laughs> uh, it's too far away from where you live. It's not convenient for you. Uh, the prices are too high. There's all sorts of things that if we experience these things, it may keep us from going to a particular grocery store. I remember when we uh, lived in Antioch, we went to this uh, grocery store called Winco, which we just absolutely loved. But we had friends who would never go to Winco. And uh, they, oh, you go, to, you go to Winco? It's like, yeah, it's so cheap. They have all this stuff. It's so great. Oh, well, I didn't like it because of this. Uh, I waited in line too long one time when I went. Or, uh, you know, I got some meat and I didn't like it very... It's like, we have... All of these sort of like micro decisions that we make every day, many of which we may not even think about. But we have expectations for everything, for what the grocery store should be like, for which gas station we want to go to and why we go to that particular gas station. Like all day, every day, we have these expectations that we carry around with us of what places should be and and when places don't meet those expectations, what do we decide to do? Just not go there again, right? And, and here's an interesting question for us to consider. How many times do we have to have a bad experience with a place in order to not go there again? Once? Is once enough? I mean, sometimes it is. Oh, I don't go to that restaurant. Why? Well, back in 1983, this happened. Now, let's take this conversation about we have expectations for all these different places to the realm of the church. So if I were to ask you this question, what is a church? How would you answer? Now, it seems like on the surface a simple question, but we know that the answer to that question, what is a church, is complicated. 
After all, people throughout time have answered the question of what is a church in a myriad of different ways. Let me give you another example. Uh, We listed our church on Google something like four or five years ago. You can actually go look this up later if you want. A couple visited on a Sunday morning, and they said, um, on our Google review, the one Google review we had at the time, uh, they were very nice people, very friendly, but they misrepresented themselves and who they were, and we won't go back there again. Now, here's my guess about what happened. They saw Church of Christ outside and then came in, and we had a female worship leader using an instrument, right? And so they had an expectation of what we were going to be like because we had these words outside, and they thought we would be something, and when they came in, they found out we were something different, and they told Google about it. Well, Easter of that year, another family came from Sacramento, and uh, they were involved in their church, so they posted a Google review at the same time, and they responded to the previous Google review. And they said, hold on a second, you're telling me that you came in, everyone was really nice to you, that the sermon was good, but they misrepresented themselves. This seems off somehow. And then he went on to say how much he appreciated the service, how much he appreciated uh, what was said, the songs and everything, and gave this whole, you know, spiel on Google. So at the time, we had two reviews, one negative and one positive. So we're winning like half the time, which I guess is average, right? What should, what is a church? And, and then let's just complicate it, you know, what should a church be? So those questions, although they are similar, uh, are, are a little bit different. And th- this is also a, a tough question. Maybe our attempt to answer this question forces us to think about ourselves critically, um, i.e., what are we doing well and, and what can we do better? Because what should a church be? It's kind of an idealistic question. Uh, or perhaps our attempt to answer the question leads us to be critical of other churches. They don't do this, so they aren't being the church. Or they do this, and that makes them... The interesting thing about this question is that those who go to church are not the only ones who have strong opinions about the answers to these questions. Many non-Christians can answer these questions more readily than we may be able to. What is a church and what should, what a, what should a church be? And often, if we have ears to hear, their observations, those who don't go to church, are not wrong. Now, as we've said in our study of the book of Acts, the main character is God and how he is moving in the world, empowering those who follow him with the Holy Spirit. And the apostles were the ones taking this truth to the world, but God was building something through all of these efforts. And as you read the story, it it quickly becomes apparent that God was working to establish a community a group of people that were drawn together by Jesus. And this community was to be different than any other community that existed on the planet because they followed Jesus. These communities 
became the church, but it is not what we think of when we say church. They didn't have buildings, pews, or even Bibles. Instead, they were groups of people who simply gathered together because of their belief in Jesus. No one, and and this is important, understand this, no one, not even the apostles, had a good idea of what this was supposed to look like. They were making it up as they went, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and figuring things out as this group came together. So, this question of what is a church and what is a church should be actually is kind of the wrong question to ask. It wasn't the question they were trying to answer. Instead, the question they were trying to answer was, what does a community that is founded on Jesus look like? What do these people do? Well, there is one set of verses that Christians have turned to in order to help answer these questions over time. And it comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay, so what do we do with this passage? First off, we need to acknowledge that these verses are a little bit problematic for us. Uh, If we are using them as we often go to them as sort of like these five, six verses are the model that we are supposed to follow, if, if these verses tell us what a church is and what it should be, then there's some challenging things in here. On a very just pragmatic level, they met all the time. All the time. They were together. They had everything in common. And the really problematic part is that they sold property and possessions to give away to those who had need. And we read this view of the church, we, we, we read these words, and, and, and the question that I think probably most often comes to our mind is this, are we supposed to do this? Because if we are, um, I, I, I don't know how we're supposed to do this. Like, we love what the verses, we love the idea that's being communicated. But again, if this is the model for us, it poses some problems, doesn't it? In order to fully understand these verses, though, we can't just pull them out and say, see, this is what we should be. We have to realize that 
that description that we just saw was, is part of a bigger story that is being told. So it's happening in line with other things. If you remember from what we read and studied last week, the Holy Spirit came in power on the apostles and company, and it drew attention to where they were, and they came out speaking all of these different languages, languages from, from all over the place. And Peter preached the gospel for the first time, that Jesus was part of God's plan all along, that this Jesus that, that you crucified has risen and is the Messiah, the one who was promised. He proclaimed that Jesus was Lord and Savior. And this was the response of all of those who heard from Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 41. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, we said this last week, this, this story and sermon were told so that there is no doubt that the Spirit of God was making all of this happen. Uh, Peter, who had no business standing up and giving this message through the power of the Spirit, delivers the gospel. And the story is, is that this is what God has done. This is what God is doing to bring salvation to the world. And, and not only does the Spirit allow for the proclamation to happen, but the Spirit moves the hearts of those who hear it. And we see people driven to a response. Think about what it is that they're responding to. These people, you know, who potentially saw Jesus crucified, who potentially mocked him as he was on his way to the cross. This message that, that they crucified Jesus, but that Jesus was offering life to them, that they should repent, realize how their life was on the wrong track and how they wanted it to get onto the right track. And, and, and they are moved by this message of the gospel. And this movement that happens in this group of people draws 3,000 people. Uh, get this. 3,000 people to decide that they want to live their life in a different way. It is an incredibly dynamic moment as God's presence shows up in this powerful and demonstrative way. And that moment that, that just happened in these verses is pretty much unparalleled in the gospel story. You, you don't see this happen all the time. But then what? Right? I mean, these three, <laughs> a 
Imagine, just imagine for a second that you're one of the apostles, okay? You've seen the risen Lord. He's gone to heaven. You've waited for days in a room, just praying, waiting for the Spirit to come. The Spirit comes. You preach. Thousands of people respond. And, and after they respond, they look at you, and they're like, so now what do we do? And you're like, I don't know. <laughs> Let's talk some more about Jesus. <laughs> Seems like a good idea. This is the context of verses 42 through 47. Okay? This is what we are seeing in these verses. It is describing the aftermath of this moment. So let's look at it again. 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the first thing about this is what the writer is doing here is, is he's giving us a summary. All right? This is a pretty high-level view of what was happening. We don't have any logistics. We don't have any sort of in-depth descriptions about where they were meeting and what exactly they were doing, uh, what they were praying. We don't, we don't have any of these things. All we have is, is this summary of what things looked like in the early days after this happened. So we don't have any specifics, and we also don't have the why behind the choices they were making or the how they were doing what they were doing. Uh, were they all meeting, all 3,000 plus meeting together in one place? Uh, did they divide up into different homes? Did, well, what did they do? We don't know. We don't know what they did. Um, so the writer is just giving us this high-level view uh, form of this community formed in this miraculous time and what they started to look like. There was undeniably something deep that happened to these people. It's, it's not like a momentary flash in the pan driven by the drama of the Spirit's arrival. These people were greatly affected by all that had taken place, and they were motivated to change. And the emphasis is on the transformation that takes place inside the community and not on individuals. No one's named or listed. Uh, we do have the apostles, but... It doesn't say there's no individual stories or anything like that. Instead, what we see and what this communicates to us is sort of this big movement by God that is affecting a lot of people and making them want to commit themselves to Jesus and to change their lives. Now, it's important for us as we read this to evaluate how we interpret this information. So, for example, uh, is the writer, because remember, this was written years after all of this happened, is the writer giving us sort of an idealized version of the church? Um, is this how he wants to remember it? Um, 
Well, it's certainly possible that the writer gave the most idealized version of what this early community was like, but in that same vein, we have to remember that Acts itself was part of an, the ongoing attempt of the church to reflect on the implications and applications of the gospel within the church so that the church might continue to follow who they believe Jesus wants them to be. So this description that he writes is pretty important for those who are getting the book of Acts for the first time. As they're figuring out what church is supposed to be. What are the characteristics of this community? If we had to look at them and say, okay, well, what is it that they actually did and and, and why were they doing this? Because if we want to emulate this group, if, if the people that first got the book of Acts that are forming Christian communities are, are, are trying to emulate this group, what is it that you are supposed to put out as a model? Well, it actually gives us right at the beginning the things that they did. Verse 42 tells us This is what they did with their time. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. So let's start with the first one. They they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. This church moves immediately to the task, the apostles do, uh, of, of teaching, keeping itself straight about what it is to be about. So what did they talk about? Jesus. They talked about his teachings, about how he lived his life, about what he did. And and who better to instruct people on who Jesus was and how you can live like him than those who actually knew him and spent all this time with him. The Spirit gave them the power of proclamation and the wisdom to speak into the dynamics of this newly formed community. And we don't know exactly what they taught, but you can be sure that it's centered on the gospel, on Jesus being the Messiah and the Lord and people's need for him. Secondly, they were in constant fellowship with one another. The the word for fellowship here is the Greek word koinonia. And this word, uh, fellowship, means more than just being together. Uh, The way that it's described later on is that they had everything in common. Now, when you hear that term, that they had everything in common, what does that mean? (laughs) Right? What, What does that mean? I mean, we know that they were all Jews, but we know that they were from different parts of the known world because they all spoke these different languages. Uh, but this term fellowship kind of encapsulates that. And, and it leads them to uh, the, the sharing of the things that they have. They, they sell property and they sell things so that they can support those who have need. The, the church was, was unified in who they were. And, and they had a powerful testimony to, to all of those Jews who didn't know Jesus, not only because of the miracles, but because of the way that they lived, began to live together with one, with one another. There's, there's something dynamic about, about what's described here. While the method is a little bit overwhelming to us, 
what's described here is a group of people that are drawn together by something that overcomes whatever it is that would drive them apart. And this thing that draws them together draws them together all the time. That thing is Jesus. Their identification as Christians and it's, it's pulling them together and it's overcoming whatever it was that would drive them apart. I mean, do they literally have everything in common? I mean, what if one is a Dodgers fan and the other is a Giants fan? No, that's not the point. The point is what is drawing them together is bigger and more important than what could push them apart. And then what they choose to do within this fellowship, sell things to support those in need, actually has a really pragmatic explanation for that time. Of the thousands of Jews who made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Pentecost, because remember the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, many may have come as early as Passover, which was 50 days earlier. Now they were extending their stay in Jerusalem even longer to learn the basics of what this is and how to live like Jesus once they have given their lives to him. So if they're away from home and they're staying in Jerusalem longer than they should, what's going to happen? They're going to have needs. Whether it's food or money or a place to stay or whatever it is, they would need financial or physical help from those who lived in Jerusalem to be able to stay and figure out what this Jesus thing is all about. And so, because this need is there, what do people do? You can come stay with me. I'll feed you. You can't stay with me because I don't have this, but I'm going to sell this so that I can get you a place to stay. I, I mean, you see what's happening? They don't just arbitrarily decide you know what, I should sell my stuff. No, that's, that's not, what, that's not what's hap- what is happening. Instead, they are giving from what they have to support this community that has people who have needs. That's, that's what happens. They broke bread together. Look back at the book of Luke and all the times that Jesus was at the table with others. Each time... Uh, each dinner time episode in Luke is a time of fellowship and revelation and controversy. People, you know, Luke handles some pretty, or, or Jesus handles some pretty serious issues at the table in the book of Luke. So much so that, that people criticized him in Luke chapter 15. This man receives sinners and eats with them. He failed to make proper distinction between people at his table. And we know from contemporary experience that the place where social boundaries are most often broken down are when you eat with somebody and share a meal with them, have them into your home or go to their home or eat out somewhere. Uh, did it mean that they were taking the Lord's Supper every time this happened? Uh, yeah, probably. Because why is it that they're together in the first place? Jesus. And so what would you do when you get together and eat? You would acknowledge Jesus and maybe go through as as the apostles told them about the Lord's Supper and what Jesus had done there 
They most likely celebrated it whenever they were together because they were all together because of Jesus. And then the last thing that's mentioned there is prayer, which ultimately what that means is they worshiped together in a way that was transformed, but also consistent with what they knew. They not only prayed together, but they continued to meet in the temple courts. Why? Because they're Jewish. And in the midst of all this newness, the community does not neglect the tradition of their ancestors. They don't cease being devoutly Jewish. But the thing I think that's important for us to recognize about them is that they met together regularly to worship. And if you're going to get together to worship and you don't know how or what to do, where would you go? To the temple. Why? Because it just makes sense. And there's a lot of you. And the temple can hold all of you. But the thing that really strikes me about this community is not just what they did, but what they were like. Look at, listen to these, these descriptions of them. They were filled with awe. There were many signs and wonders, which was important because it, it emphasized that God was the one doing these things, moving and making it happen. They had everything in common. They had glad and sincere hearts, enjoying the favor of all the people. In short, this is the kind of community you would want to be a part of. That if you encountered this community, your first thought would be, how do I join these people? The reason why this happened and why they became this kind of community is because of their belief in Jesus and the movement of the Spirit. There is joy and hope and peace, love and gladness to be found in coming to know Jesus. Furthermore, Jesus is the greatest point, again, of identification that we can have. Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 3. So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We cannot, we cannot undersell the fact that Jesus breaks down all of these barriers and draws people together. Church, Jesus draws people together when they know him and believe in him. So, are we called to do or be the same as this community? Is this a model for us of what we should be like? Well, again, part of the issue is that the description is so impossibly big that we could talk about how we want to be like them, but we don't really remotely know how because the things we identify almost seem unattainable. So what is it that we can take from this community? We have to realize that the things they did were not things they were forced to do or even necessarily told to do. Instead, we learn something from them, and, and it's this. The natural response to realizing your need for Jesus and accepting him as your Savior is to change who you are. 
not just in a moralistic way, which we've boiled it down to this sort of like you stop doing this and you start doing that, but in a relational way. All the things that they did were for the glorification of God and the building up of the community. They, in the immediate aftermath of coming to know Jesus, began to take care of each other in a dynamic way. Spending time with one another, encouraging each other, worshiping together. And the Spirit prompted them to do these things. They, they didn't have a plan, but they had the Spirit. And that was the result. So we could ask, should we be like these people? But I think there are two better questions for us to ask as we close this morning. Number one, are we a community who is living in the current reality of who Jesus is and the salvation he brings to the world? And are we living in a dynamic way because of that? Number two, are we listening to the prompting of the Spirit as the Spirit tells us what we should be and guiding us in the way we should go? Because after all, we're not trying to be like people who lived 2,000 years ago. We are trying to be like Jesus in the world we live in now. Amen? We are trying to be like Jesus in the world we live in now. So what do we want to be? We want to be a group of people that are brought together by Jesus Christ. We want to acknowledge that Jesus Christ overcomes anything that would drive us apart. That who we are as sinners in need of a Savior, sinners who have found that Savior, is what gives us purpose and meaning. And it causes us to live our lives in a different dynamic way because we are experiencing new life in Jesus every day. And we want to encourage other people to live that same kind of life. That, that they could have this kind of relationship with the God who created the universe and loves them and wants them to have something so good. And we want to be a community that is led not by our own desires or what we think we should be, but by the Spirit of God living and active in us. So we listen for the Spirit to tell us, to guide us, to help us. For we are not a community of ourselves. We are a community of Jesus Christ. And that makes all the difference.